Hello everyone and welcome back to the Landscape Nerd. Wow, there are a lot of new listeners here and I want to take a minute to greet you. Hello, my name is Macy and I am your host. In earlier episodes, I went by the name Nell. My last name is Nelson and I shortened it to Nell. You can call me either, it's fine, but I just thought I'd clarify that. Uh, This is a podcast all about nerding out in the name of landscape storytelling and sharing information that I think everyone ought to know. The podcast is for landscape lovers of all backgrounds, all industries, and all places. Landscape and a love for our outdoor spaces are our common denominators. This is a interactive place, so please, if you have places, sites, or plants, or people that you want to nerd out about, let me know, and we will. There are stories everywhere that need to be shared. And as we all know, sharing is caring. In this episode, we will discuss the properties, aesthetics, and symbolism behind African-American gardens. Honestly, this took me on such a deep dive of beautiful information that I should really just call this an introduction. There is so much to cover that I have noted any resources that I use so that you can keep nerding out after this podcast is over. In many fields of study, people use the term typologies. At least that's definitely true in design. They are a classification or a general association for something. In landscape, we use many different typologies. Residential, garden, contemporary, Some think that the term typologies is overused, so if it helps, you can just think of it as a type or a style. When components and techniques of a style or a typology are identified, they become something unique and recognizable. And the reason we break down the components of a style or a typology are to understand it and to maybe even recreate it. We do it all the time. Think about cooking. The ingredients and techniques that you choose to make beef bourguignon are French style of cooking, but it became accessible to you because someone broke it down and shared that knowledge with you in a video or a book or handwritten recipes. But it mostly means that someone took the time to recognize that there was something unique and beautiful that needed to be shared and understood by the world. Now, this isn't to say that if someone hasn't identified or labeled a typology that it doesn't exist or that it isn't unique. No, no, no. It's the exact opposite. It just means that we have so much more to discover. And I feel that way about the African-American garden. The African-American garden is a typology. It has these distinctive factors, but we just don't really learn about it. So if I may... I would like to share the making of a African-American garden with you. I don't know about you, but I did not learn about the African-American garden typology in school. I did not even understand it or its complexities passing afternoons in my own grandmother's garden. So like any good nerd, I took to Google Scholar for resources and I found some really great stuff. Firstly, I looked at Von Sill's book, a place for the spirit that captured images of these gardens 
You can check out her website for more images. I linked her page and some of the other information on the Landscape Nerd Instagram. This is a visual start or a visual reference point for the research that I had to do, and it gave a little background. Then I found the University of Florida's IFAS extension had published an overview of landscape design and plants grown in traditional African-American gardens, and that was written by John McLaughlin. This was the only academic institution resource that I was actually able to find, so if you know any others, please send them my way. You can never have too many tabs open on your computer, right? Without a visual and only using my words, I hope that I can do the description justice. These gardens are typically found in the Deep South, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and the Carolinas, and along the roads that the enslaved took to freedom. But sadly, these gardens are beginning to fade. It should be noted that African-American gardens are not a place for everyone's idea of beauty. These gardens are small, they are intimate, and they are highly personal. These gardens are not necessarily manicured, but they are cared for, and they are full of intent. These are asymmetrical gardens with room for found materials like statuary or planters, they are sculptural in nature, but in a untouched, here's a specimen plant kind of way. And most strikingly, they are absent of turf or grass. These are referred to as swept gardens. Maintenance of grass would have been expensive and reserved to the affluent white communities. And these reflected the West African tradition where many enslaved peoples came from. In West African tradition, fear vegetation around the home was considered a precaution for brush fire safety, similar to the safety precautions we see here on the western side of the United States. The name swept gardens come from the act of literally sweeping the loose dirt aside to avoid money spots during rainy seasons. Also, it requires constant upkeep and pulling of weeds to smooth out the pathways. If you grew up in the South or have a family from the South like I do, you may be familiar with the phrase, go on and iron out the yard, or he's ironing out the yard. That's because you are literally flattening out the dirt or removing creases in the dirt. There is also a very clear distinction between yard and garden. The garden is where vegetables grow, and the yard is sort of everything else. The yard would consist of shrubs, if any, but most importantly, it is where the shade trees are. In the West African region, the shade trees were full of fruit trees, such as mango or breadfruit trees, but these are not grown in the U.S. South. The shade trees are now great pecans, oaks, or sweet gums. But there isn't an excess of shade, not like the forests we see in the Midwest or the eastern side of the U.S. Because the garden, right, needs six to eight hours of sunlight to grow all of the food that you eat. But a communal shade tree is poised to promote gathering and rest 
together. Also, you would find decorative items that are utilized throughout the yard. Whatever's available uh, to be repurposed. Colored glass hangs along the edges and swings freely from tree limbs. Lastly, garden art takes on many forms here. Many of them are found materials from old toilets to hubcaps. These gardens feel mystical. Within these gardens, the space around your home is becomes a place to invoke ownership and respect for the land itself. These gardeners are mystics. They are magical because they bring the energy of generations past to the present. Honestly, I even hesitate to call it a garden or a typology in that way because I feel like I'm describing an altar to something more sacred. However, altars do not need to be made up of gold or silver or fine wood or glorious stone. No. These magical places are built upon items valued in whatever capacity they are in. I want to call your attention to the garden art specifically because it is a very defining characteristic for people new to observing African-American gardens. The particular placement of items is meant to bring clarity and understanding of oneself, a sentiment that many of us can resonate with. However, these gardens go a step further. They are magical, remember? Because they celebrate value. These are items that are often overlooked, but are still worthwhile because they still have some purpose. Value is a fascinating word to use here, uh, because in these gardens, value is determined by the gardener and no one else. For example, a rusted bike may lay proudly in the center of a garden bed, not because it is functional or particularly appealing, but rather it may have belonged to the gardener in childhood, and it served them well to get from place to place. They are also honoring the fact that they were able enough to ride a bike through their childhood, and that their ancestors protected them while they felt the wind in their hair and the wheels spinning beneath them. That item still has value, and really I think that is fundamentally what makes an African-American garden so sentimental and unique, because they express explicitly value and gratitude for things that are typically overlooked. The garden harnesses the beauty of items that go overlooked or are mistreated, because unfortunately that is something we can also resonate with, and even more, unfortunately, have applied to humans. Enslaved people in this country were treated as property and subhuman, and I can only imagine the trauma endured which is why these gardens are so incredible. Through enduring that kind of hate and then still be able to create a place of harmony and peace is a feat. Now, I personally wish that I could see more of these gardens and I encourage anyone looking to build a garden of their own to think about this typology and maybe carry on the tradition so that it doesn't disappear. I know that I mentioned this before that I did not learn about this in school and well that sucks but I have to understand that 
some of the most amazing things that happen or the most amazing traditions are not written down or recorded. Also, this is a relatively quickly evolving and adapting style. When Africans were initially enslaved here in America, they had to pass down their traditions orally. And these gardens were grown according to whatever plants were available. So this wasn't a style that had strict rules that people followed in order to adhere to any sort of class or school of thought. It was simply to find your sense of community through plantings and through shared knowledge that you were able to do by talking about it. Paul Mullins wrote, African-American ornamental gardens were a part of a rich African diaspora and environmental and gardening heritage, but most archaeological research is focused on the substance of food gardens. Ornamental gardens cultivated primarily by women have been a part of African-American landscapes since captivity. He further explains that African-American gardeners often favored arrangements that mimicked nature, which tend to reduce pests in weed growth. African-Americans routinely exchanged or gifted plant cuttings and seeds, and they suggest that the particular plants were associated with the giver, which is very nice like a permanent homage to the loved ones within your life and your community. You know how you worry about making sure that that gift that someone gives you is on display when they came to visit or come to visit your house. You see, if everyone just gave each other plants, then maybe you wouldn't have to worry about that so much. Also, this explains the asymmetrical organization I talked about earlier. These gardens were, the gardeners were rarely purchasing or acquiring large groupings of plants or shrubs at a time to create perfect symmetry, like we see achieved in French or Italian gardens. This article written by Mullins is honestly such a great read that I'll like to link it in the comments. The author was able to do a much, much deeper dive on the history of the ornamental origins of African American gardens than I was. They talk about the beginnings of African-American garden clubs and the beautiful gem-like gardens that they produced, and I really recommend taking a look. The article is called Gardens in the Black City, Landscaping 20th Century African-America by Paul Mullins. Mullins also expressed earlier that there was a focus on food gardens and agricultural garden in the history of African-American landscape. The culinary history and agricultural history are tied together, of course. We can embrace the origins of soul food all day, and I have. But there is a bigger and more crucial part of the story that I think gets lost sometimes. These foods were grown for survival. These food gardens were made to find a way to live and these gardens reflect the food that were allowed for one generation to get to the next and even from one person in enslavement to freedom. In another excellent article written in the New York Times by Michael Tortorello called The Seeds of Survival, Kathy Hambrick-Jackson, the founder and executive director of the River Road, 
African American Museum said enslaved Africans did not win their freedom in order to starve. In addition to foraging for berries, the enslaved planted food in the garden. Plants like cowpeas, okra, and rice were indigenous to the Senegambian region of West Africa. Farmers would have raised them in their fields near Atlantic ports like Gore in order to larder slave ships. Leftover food became seed stock for enslaved Africans to grow on the plantation. Going back to the point made about ornamental gardens, planting what you could when you could find it meant that these gardens were diverse. I mean, heirloom varieties. Most would never even think to grow in a garden. Dipper gourds, West Indian burgerkins, or the fish pepper. I mean, how cool. These are dripping in history, and I'm actively searching for these seeds to grow myself. Maybe there are more people growing these now than I think. And if you are, please send me pictures. Also, this story of survival is probably closer to home for those who live near the historical sites of the Underground Railroad. Because for me, at least, foraging in the woods or along a trail were summer pastimes. Not thinking that once upon a time, an ancestor of mine was doing the same, but in order to survive and to make it to a safe place. In an article written by Doug Oster titled, From Slavery to Freedom Garden, they interviewed Camilla Rivera Tinsley, the director of education at the Frick Environmental Center in Pittsburgh, and Sam Black of the Heinz History Center about gardening and honoring the antebellum period of the 19th century where enslaved people came to Pittsburgh to be free. At the Frick, there is an outdoor exhibit that demonstrates what an enslaved person would eat as they traveled north through the wilderness and the Underground Railroad. This includes pawpaws, apples, greens, coal crops, and more. So these gardens travel along with the entire story of African Americans in this country. They are disappearing, but they're not forgotten. We can help protect this heritage. I'm passing on this information orally, and I hope that you will do the same. Even telling someone that there is a such thing as an African American garden will be fantastic. So the next time that you see sculptures or ornate arrangements of found objects like lawn chairs or toilet bowls, think again about what they mean. Think about what that energy is that they're trying to invite. The chairs may be calling to the community to sit down and gather, or maybe they're asking for their spirits to rest here and guard us for a while. I know that there is so much more to cover, and I hope that this has piqued your interest. And I will trust you all to take it from here and nerd out as good landscape nerds do. And let me know what you find. I'd like to thank the Landscape Architecture Podcast for sharing my page, because I know that many of you listen to that podcast, and I love that. I love to see the landscape community come together and lift each other up. We really need that right now. I also want to say, go make a podcast. If you're here already, you're probably a nerd just like me. And more importantly, you probably have some really amazing things to say. 
if you're not the podcast type, then fine. But I want you to know that I'm listening, and chances are that others are too. If you want to chat or talk about landscape nerd things, message me on Instagram or email me at thelandscapenerd at gmail.com. T-H-E-L-A-N-D-S-C-A-P-E-N-E-R-D at gmail.com. Thank you, and I'll see you next time.